1: And welcome to Whole Things Therapy. I'm your host, yes. Tata here. If you've been listening, you know that I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I practice as an intuitive psychotherapist. And you can find me online at my website, nolatherapy.com. It's the abbreviation for New Orleans, Los Angeles Therapy. And once you go there, you are able to book sessions with me directly through phone, Skype, FaceTime, or at either my Los Angeles or New Orleans locations. I divide my time between both cities and have for the last five years. I really have loved figuring that out and so, and I'm I'm available. I am taking new clients. I've released a new psycho astrology package to work with you during a month-long intensive psychoastrology is a word that I coined and I just received a US trademark a few days ago for that word. It is the topic and subject matter of the book I have coming out in the fall of 2020 called The Chiron Effect Healing Our Core Wounds Through Astrology and empathy, and self-forgiveness, and psycho astrology is where our personal psychology, our family of origin, all that we have experienced through our life experience plus our genetic composition, where that meets the astrological placement of Chiron, who is the wounded healer archetype, and in my book, I help you to identify what your Chiron placement is. I have an interactive website mm-hmm. where you where you go and get that information and then use my book to help you change the patterns and behaviors that you don't want anymore but feel like it might be hard to get rid of those last remnants of be it self sabotage or a decreased sense of your value and worth. And I offer you affirmations and practical steps to address that core wounding so you can step into a more empowered life and just more happiness and joy. My guest is doing that in her own unique way, and I'm going to introduce her in a moment. I also would love for you to rate my podcast on iTunes and to give it a review. I appreciate those of you who have done that already. I am coming up in the iTunes rankings, and I just appreciate that. It's such a passion of mine to change our consciousness one conversation at a time and you getting me more visible, offers that opportunity. So thank you for doing that. And please rank and review my podcast if you haven't all things therapy on iTunes and join my email list through NOLA therapy. I want to get information to you as it is revealed regarding my book pre sales and just be able to stay in touch moving forward in the future. And on social media, follow me at NOLA therapy on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Okay, I'm excited to introduce my guest, Jen Taylor. She does some really powerful things to help change and shift consciousness in our world. She's an author. She has one book published, one coming out. We're going to talk about both of those. She's a podcaster. Her show is called The Naked Podcaster. I was a guest on it. And she's additionally a blogger. I really have been enjoying her blogs. You can find her at momof18, momof18 momof18.com. She's a public speaker. She's been speaking on a topic regarding compounding joy. She's an avid runner and mother to 18 kids. Her family is composed of biological, her biological children, foster children, stepchildren adopted children and a foreign exchange student and Jen embraces minimalist living appreciation of the outdoors and being really healthy and giving back all those things are important to her and we're going to be talking to her about what that exactly means to live minimally so Jen you're such a powerful storyteller I just want to welcome you to the show today thank you so much
0: Lisa it's a pleasure to be here
1: you're welcome. How is your day unfolding so far?
0: Well, I think pretty much every day is uh, amazing. You know, even with ups and downs, it's I, I have a lot of gratitude every single day.
1: And so today is the same as any other. It's pretty spectacular. That's awesome. That's awesome. We're right... Uh, having Christmas yesterday, and I'm imagining your house was full of a lot of love, such a large family you have. I can't even imagine having <laughs> most such most a large people family. can. I don't
0: know that I can. Today, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. We have we have a lot of uh, family coming in. there's it's definitely a great time of the year. Uh, with your capitalizing on that gratitude and that love. And I think we've tried really hard to do that. It wasn't always the time of year that was the happiest for me uh, in the past. And so I'm proof that that can be changed.
1: May I ask why that was in the past and what helped you change that for yourself? I grew up in um, and my first book is about
0: growing up in dysfunction. And I know my mom struggled with a lot of depression and I feel like the holidays, if you're struggling with depression, it just makes it so much worse. I think we see it's easy to see the things in life that aren't going well. And the holidays sort of magnify some of that. So I was kind of raised below poverty level and um with a parent who suffered from depression. And so when I left home, I I really had to try to figure out at the age of 17, when you're figuring a lot of things out, mm. why the holidays were sad. And I wasn't sad. So what about the holidays were sad? And then I came to realize that I could really make them anything I wanted. So Christmas became a time with the first child that was born that I really had to think about what do I want it to be? And how do I want to package it up for the kids that are growing up in my house compared to how it was packaged for me? And then it didn't need to be sad or depressing. And so I made a lot of changes. I I implemented traditions and things that I thought would really help my kids grow up regardless of what your income level is that just made the time of year happier. And I think that it's good to be able to
1: capitalize on that as well. Absolutely. You know, before what you're saying is reminding me of I had to stop in a local shopping mall for something on my way home to to do this show together and to get something specific for my stepmom. And just walking in the mall, the energy I found so overwhelming because I've been quietly at a friend's house just having a, a very meaningful Christmas and just the bombardment of the lights and the people and the gifts, the commercialism, I found so overwhelming. It's almost like I couldn't wait to get get out of there. And so I think what you're saying about making the holidays, what I hear you saying, meaningful for you, regardless of your income level, regardless of of what we think we should do. And I'm imagining with a family of 18 kids that that would be important to come up with some unique ways to celebrate something like Christmas that isn't so cons- like commercially driven.
0: It, it was. It was very important to me. And one thing that was important when I was on my own at 17, you know, I, I bought a stocking at the Dollar Tree and it had these iron-on letters and I tried to iron them on and they were crooked and I burnt it. And I, <laughs> you know, it was just one of those sort of pathetically hilarious situations where you realize that you're kind of starting life and you're alone. And when I... I thought about that. I thought, what would make it easier when I went out on my own? And so I started a tradition 27 years ago that every child got an ornament every year. So they all had their own little Rubbermaid bucket, and they got an ornament once a year, which means when you leave the house, you should be leaving with a minimum of 18 ornaments. (laughs) And the goal was right? The goal was that it would be filled with memories. And of course you have more because the kids would make things or someone else would give them, or if they ran a race and had a medal and they wanted to turn it into an ornament, you know, we really, every vacation we went on, we would buy an ornament. Uh, every trip we took because ornaments were expensive and easy to find. It could be a keychain that we turned into an ornament. So the kids, Right? The kids were always geared to look for items, like a necklace that's larger or, like I said, a keychain. So when we went to the Hoover Dam or to Area 51, you know, we found, we couldn't find an ornament per se, but we did find keychains there that we could turn into ornaments, and those became the memories of their life growing up. And some of those were put into my ornaments, like the the community ornaments and others were that the kids would turn things into ornaments that they had. So this year was really exciting because we've got so many kids now that are adults. They've all left with, you know, the hope chest of, of things that I saved that were theirs, their scrapbooks and photo albums and school stuff and special things that I kind of saved for each one of the kids. And then their, their bucket, of their Christmas ornaments. And a lot of them have moved out on their own. And this year was their first year where they did Christmas themselves and had their own tree. So it was really kind of phenomenal to see something that started 27 years ago, really take hold and come to fruition. Cause that's something I did for a long time without seeing an end result. And this was not the first year that that's occurred, but the first year that, that it occurred with so many kids where they all started their own tree and they got to move out and have this bucket full of memories of their life growing up, that they got to start their own tree and their own traditions with. And that was pretty phenomenal. So that was something low cost that I did that we kind of did throughout the year in small ways, yeah. really capitalized on it on the holidays. So the holiday for them never needs to be sad. They have this, you know, this box full of, mem- of good collection
1: of memories. And I love yeah. the idea of using different things for ornaments. <laughs> I know you're a runner. I am also like race medals. I never thought what yes. perfect those make, they are the perfect ornament, right? The perfect yeah. size. So
0: we really, I think about 27 years ago, I really started looking at ways that you could build your ornament collection. And Christmas for us is a mem. It's just memories of the years. And and that's been really fun. So every year, the kids that still lived at home got to go through all of their ornaments and we'd all sit and watch them and it would be their spotlight time. And then they were allowed to hang up four because good God, with that many kids, you know. Yeah, right. So they would choose four and then Christmas Eve, they always, they got an ornament every Christmas Eve. They got to open it Christmas Eve and hang it on the tree. So I think implementing things that seem small or they're small. Every every year, one ornament is a small thing, but over time, that compounds into this bucket of ornaments that they all grow up with and their own memories that are attached to happy things that happen to them throughout the years. That then they can launch their own Christmas tree and traditions with. And so that's one of the things I'm all about: compound interest and compounding joy and gratitude. And so that's been a 27 year process for me to compound that tradition in my kids' lives and then see it happen when they move out on their
1: own. I'm wondering if this is one of the principles found and you shared with me privately before coming live, you're working on your second book having to do with non-traditional parenting. So I'm thinking these are some of those hacks and techniques, so to speak, that I'm thinking might be in your book. Is that, is that true?
0: Yes. And there will be a lot. I mean, it's the non-parenting parenting parenting book. I personally don't think that we can have a parenting book of advice because each one of us is so unique in our parenting styles. Even my husband and I just, you know, I mean, just the two of us and we're the same in a lot of ways, but we're different in a lot of ways also. And every one of our kids, I mean, they say kids are like snowflakes. No one is created the same. And anyone who's had a child When they're born, regardless of what you think you're going to, (laughs) how you're going to parent them, they come wired with their own personality. And so, yes, your parenting goals can kind of be the same, but how you implement them is different child to child. So there's a lot that goes into that book. And yes, that's a huge part of that is how can, where can we find ways to compound the positive aspects of parenting that you'll need to tweak because you're a different parent and your child's a different child. And so, and I understand yeah. that because I've parented every one of my kids differently, even though my goals were the same.
1: What were your goals in parenting your kids that were consistent? God,
0: my first goal is not to screw it up. I mean, really. <laughs> the, <laughs> the number one goal, I think, is to minimize how many you know, if there's a quota of mistakes to be made as a parent, I am nailing it at life. I am meeting my quota. I've even exceeded my quota. My kids would be happy to share with you all the times I've made mistakes. And I, I think sometimes as parents, we're kind of on survival mode in, in just the day-to-day raising. We have this expectation of the joy that we'll feel of being a parent, which it, it, it that exceeded my expectations. I never knew there's no possible way to describe the love that you feel as a parent until you experience it's like explaining what salt tastes like to someone who's never tasted salt. There, there aren't really words to put that into perspective that's adequate. And so that joy and that love that you feel exceeded expectations. And then the feelings of oh my gosh, am I screwing this up entirely? Definitely exceeds your expectations. And so I think the first thing with parenting is just surviving it and not completely making a mess of it, even when okay. you're trying to give 100% every single day. And um, I think most parents feel like they're screwing it more than they're succeeding at it. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm I'm no exception. And just when you think maybe like, oh, I'm taking a breath, I'm winning at this parenting thing, something is going to happen with one of them, you know, Mm -hmm. when people say to me, like, how's everything with the family? And I say, everything's great. I mean, to me, that means there are always issues with 18 kids and there are always struggles and there are always difficulties and there are always successes and it's always a work in progress and there's no way to quantify how well you're doing, except, you know, you're trying to screw it up the the least amount possible. And so there's a lot of that that will go into the book. I think as parents, we need to give ourselves a little bit more credit and just kind of embrace the suck. And yeah, and it feels, yeah, we're embracing the suck a lot,
1: but that's okay. Mm-hmm. And all of that will go into book two. You know, and from what I've, did some research on you about, you've been through a lot as far as seven pregnancies of your own and then experiencing infertility and 12 years of foster parenting, being divorced and a single mom at one point. So did you ever intend to raise 18 kids? I'm curious <laughs> for myself and our listeners, like how, how that evolved? Cause it's really, it's really unique. It is
0: really unique. And you said seven pregnancies and then infertility, which always makes people look at me. I did go through infertility. I had seven surgeries and I got to the point for any woman out there struggling. I'm just going to virtually hug you. Um, I've been there and I understand. And I hit the point. Where in vitro was the next step. And I looked at my doctor at the time and I said, This is where our, we're, we're parting ways. I knew for me just innately that in vitro was not the route that I was going to take. Okay. And I knew that because of seeds that had been planted earlier on growing up and because I had been raised in dysfunction. So I was raised like I should have been put into foster care and wasn't. Mm-hmm. So I. I knew one way or another I could have a family and I didn't know what that would look like, but I was, I was okay with doing it outside of the box, so to speak. So when I went to those, you know, almost a year of infertility. I was maxed out on Clomid and Provera. I went through seven day surgeries, you know, where they're flushing your tubes and taking biopsies and trying to, basically they're trying to rule out what's not wrong with you or what is wrong with you. And we kind of knew that something was really wrong, but not specifically what was really wrong. And I just looked at him and I said, I I appreciate you. I, I loved the doctor that I had as my infertility specialist. He was really an outstanding human being and i told him i'm done and in the process of weaning me off all the medication and kind of ending our relationship and doing all the blood work he came into the into the exam room one day he was a really like small asian man very quiet and just really warm and he hugged me which was not mm. characteristic of yeah. him and um he said jen I don't know how it happened. It happened off of our schedule and there's no science behind it, but you're pregnant. Wow. This is your miracle. It will probably never happen again. I'm expecting you to have a tough pregnancy." And he had tears in his eyes and I was just flabbergasted and it was a tough pregnancy. And um, she's 27 now, but she was born with a lung disease. And I was told that she wouldn't survive her first three days. I didn't hold her until she was seven days old. Yeah. It was a really, really, really tough entire infertility, pregnancy, delivery. My child survived, but shouldn't have sort of story. Yeah. And after that, I just knew that I wanted to do foster care. I was done with all things in facility. If I got pregnant it would be on my own. And I did. I got pregnant six more times without any uh, outside help. I delivered four and I lost okay. three. Okay.
1: And the last
0: pregnancy I was thirty three. I lost twins at nineteen weeks. Oh, and I'm so sorry. um it and yeah, it was it, you know, it was tough, but it was I, I always felt like something just wasn't right. You know, when things went, when I miscarried a baby and I know different women have different experiences with this, but I felt like something wasn't right and that wasn't the plan. And so emotionally, I felt really okay with it. Physically, it was pretty hard. Uh, Losing twins at 19 weeks and I had three surgeries, one, and and I ended up with a hysterectomy at that point. And even at that point, the doctor said, completely different doctor said, I don't know how you got pregnant and maintained pregnancies. but Like you had four. So when people look at me and go, wow, you took on all these extras. I'm like, yeah, you don't understand. The ones I delivered were the extras. So that was part of my story. And after my first daughter was born, I did start foster care. And I had five adoptions and five kids um, that either stayed really long-term, three aged out, one stayed really long-term and one was a foreign exchange student. And so the thing with that though is that I When I was divorced, I continued to do foster care on my own. I did one okay. adoption and took on three of those five extra kids, you know, the kids that I never yes. adopted but never left. I, I did that on my own. And so um, I kind of ended that part of my life. And I was single, and my daughter, who's now 27, uh, yeah. fixed me up with Dane, my husband now. Uh-huh. Uh, she and a friend of mine fixed us up. I was not impressed with this with this process, but I was humoring them. And my this friend of mine was like, "He's a one," and I'm like, "I'm sure he is for someone. Like that's great yeah. for him, but <laughs> I'll help you find his perfect match." And um, the day we met is the day that I, we've never been apart since the day that we met. And he had four children. He had been married and divorced and then remarried and his wife had died. And um, so I've experienced adoptions, long-term foster care, step kids that, you know, have a biological mom and kids that um, lost their mom who died. Um, I've helped some of my kids refine their biological parents. I mean, the gamut. So no, there was never a goal. It was never like, wow, 18 kids sounds like a phenomenal thing to do. I think I'm going to be on that train. No, it was, you know, you take life a step at a time. And I think most, most of us, you know, I'm 49. So if I look back at 17, when I graduated high school, well, things weren't, they didn't go the way I thought they probably would. When, when I was 17 and some of that is a lot better and some of that is a lot harder and we just kind of take it one step at a time so all I can say about these 18 kids the 14 that I that I took in and the four that were my husband's is that you take it one day at a time and I said no more than I said yes and the ones that came had to feel like they belonged and That's part intuition, which I would love to talk to you about more, Mm -hmm. more about. Mm -hmm. Um, But you just, you just, you get that call from social services and there were so many times where I was like, you know, I would love to help that child, but it's not the right fit. And other times where I just, I just knew, I just knew. And anyone doing foster care that's concerned about that, just Believe in your own intuition that when you get that phone call, you can't help every child that's out there and you will know when they belong in your home. I also think that throughout time, you know, I did this because I thought someone made a difference to me and I could make a difference to another child. It feels like they're not worth it. You don't consider, I didn't consider when I started this journey of having kids 27 plus years ago. Yes. That they would make a much bigger impact in my life than I ever would in there. I believe that.
1: It's been a fun ride. Yeah. You know, the whole time you've been talking, Jen, one of the themes that keeps popping up in my mind, I mentioned it before we came live, is how have you managed to do what you do as an author and podcaster, speaker, vlogger, blogger, your own running and health. How have you balanced that? What, what can you offer listeners that to help them carve out this time? I'm imagining you've prioritized time to do these things you do for work. And like, how do you keep from being overwhelmed or work through when you are overwhelmed? Yeah, I'd say more
0: work too when I am overwhelmed because I don't, I'm not sure that it's possible to ever be completely not overwhelmed. Right. I think uh, you said the word prioritize and we all prioritize things. For me, I really, really, I saw a mom who was depressed and obese and I didn't want to be that for my kids. So it was really important at a pretty young age for me to eat healthy and take care of myself. So that was one thing and it was more because I was trying to avoid what I didn't want to become than at, you know in the, in its infancy than becoming who I wanted to be but it shifted to that. So it's been different things I mean when the kids were little I had weights in my home and we still do and I still use them to some degree. Running was easy because as long as you have a good pair of running shoes basically there's no excuse not to do it even when yeah. the weather's terrible and I and I, sometimes the weather's terrible and I'm like, nope. Yes. <laughs> and other times the weather's terrible and I have no legitimate excuse. But I think you know, staying fit and healthy became something more about who I wanted to be than who I did not want to be. And that was a good shift for me. And the other thing is that I've used a calendar. I have found running groups. I run with a women's group the last four years and before that it was a different group and before that it was on my own. But basically I don't find excuses to not do there's a million excuses to not do things and I just didn't I didn't allow those to rule my life. I allowed my desire to be fit and healthy to rule my life and my desire to wanna work and still write. I think I've been writing since my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a thirty plus year thing. It's cathartic for me. It helps me grow and help me become a better person. At the same time if I can share a story Yeah uh, that can help someone else then Definitely. I'm winning. It's a yeah. win. So I think I've just balanced it when uh, you know, I've been a stay-at-home mom, and I've been a working mom, and I've been an entrepreneur the last several years. And regardless, there are a lot of time sucks, and I think you just really need to be aware of what the time sucks are and when they're okay and when they're not okay, and what things are your priority, or priorities, and to just set those on a calendar, and then they become important. Date night's probably one of the most difficult I think it's important to continue to date the person that you, you know, you originally start out dating, right. And it's fun and you shave your legs and it's all candlelight and, and stomach jitters. And to keep that sort of romance alive, although it does change, it was really important for, for me to keep dating the person that I was with. And that's, that's really hard to keep doing, you know? And so, I think just looking at well, first of all, communicating what's difficult, and uh, really capitalizing on what we're all good at. I'm good at things that are different than what you're good at, and when we connect and we realize our strengths, we can use each other as resources. It's not a it's not you know a competition; it's a collaboration, and. <clears throat> I think I've learned, uh, I learned early that it's really, I'm really okay with not being good at everything because there are other people that are good at things that I can connect with. And so I think you just sort of build those relationships around you and that makes your life a little easier. And then you schedule things and then you help people with the strengths that you have. And it's just kind of been a, a hamster wheel of that sort of thing. And when you, when you fall off that hamster wheel, you just have to recognize it and get back on.
1: And I hear you saying, too, trial and error to schedule your self-care, schedule the work you're doing and and then tweak things as you go along in the process and seeing what, like you're saying, the time sucks. Like you're learning, you're evolving as you go through each day to evolve your schedule and balance given what's presented each day. So I'm thinking it's organic and moving and living.
0: It is. And I love that. I love that idea. Yes, I love the idea of it, organic and moving. When I had three kids in diapers and I was breastfeeding too and I felt like I was always pregnant. And, yes. you know, I mean, like my, my life back then isn't at all the same as it is now. And so the things that worked for me back then were that I could capitalize on as strength or the areas that I needed help with are not the same as they are today. And so it's not, the, this journey we're taking is not a one and done. And it's a destination, right? I mean, it's it's the journey, not the destination. I mean, I don't know where I'm going or where the end result is, except that at some point, life does end. So in the journey from now until then, it's going to be this constant evolution. It's very alive. And so it's okay to make tweaks and changes.
1: Yes. And the importance of, of date nights with your partner, like you're saying, I think that's just important to note that life gets so busy. And I end up seeing a lot of couples that have neglected their own relationship with each other. And it can be easy to do. And it can also be easy not to do if you keep that in the forefront of your mind to Pay attention and and make that time to even communicate each evening or morning with each other. Just how's your day? The basic, simple things that easily fall by the wayside but are as important as the responsibilities of one's life to stay connected. Absolutely. I mean, I've
0: gone through divorce. And so I know what that looks like. And I didn't get married to get divorced. It wasn't something that I had planned on doing. And it's really difficult and tragic. I think keeping a relationship really good and healthy and strong is far easier than the chaos of having things end, especially when there are kids involved. So inevitably, sometimes that's the end result, but when, when you can avoid it, avoiding it is a lot easier than going through it, I think. So I would encourage people to just figure out what priorities you have and then schedule those in. I'm all about the calendar. I would schedule stuff on there if I needed to, you know, like whatever's a priority, you've got to schedule. And yeah. then it's an appointment with yourself and with that other person. And it's an accountability issue for me. And so I always encourage people, use your calendar. Um, it really, it really helps you see where things are. Time sucks and where things can be improved and how things need to be tweaked. So and that's, you can make uh, it that's fun. a big piece of advice. Yes, I make yes. it fun. Yes, yes,
1: definitely. So we're going to go to a quick commercial break, Jen, and come back on in about a minute.
0: Enjoy
1: And in all, make the world a better place for everyone. Welcome back to All Things Therapy. I am Lisa, your host. Today I'm with Jen Taylor. She is mom of 18.com, and that's mom of 18.com. So Jen, during the break, I, I- the thought crossed my mind. At what point did you decide to create mom of 18 and bring this public and center your business around it and, and such? How did that, was that an intuitive kind of gut inner knowing that you followed?
0: No, that was me finally not going against what was in front of me all the time. I I've worked the corporate world and I, worked I've worked other businesses. I work as a virtual assistant to earn money for the family. And it's not anything I've ever advertised. And anywhere I would go and any training or website, you know, anytime you're connecting with people, as soon as they found out I have 18 kids, that was it. That was the end of my conversation. And for a while, my frustration wasn't that I had 18 kids and people wanted to know. It's just, I felt like that there's so much more to me than just to that. And yeah. I couldn't ever get past it. And so what happened almost four years ago, I was working in the nonprofit sector and I was working training foster parents and uh, the nonprofits run out of funding and I was without a job. And my husband looked at me and said, why don't you take a few months off which was a gift of time is that's the most precious gift and he said you know you could write the book that you've always talked about and I had to actually decide so I want to be a person who talks about how I want to write a book and just doesn't but talks about it a lot or do I actually yes. want to be the person that writes the book right because then I was given this gift of the ability to do it the time to do it and so I obviously I decided I wanted to be the person that writes the book and not just talks mm-hmm. about it so I, I treated writing the book like a job as far as time. My kids were gone. The last one was gone in the morning at 9 a.m. for school. And the first one got back at 2.30. So from 9 to 2.30, that was my work day. And that's when I wrote. And I had a fantastic editor. Um, she's like an editor and a coach in the same... It's it's just phenomenal to have somebody who's that great at what they do and supportive. And so I, I wrote the book in two months. And because of the book, because I was writing the book, I thought, well, I need a website. And that's not true. If you're writing a book, you don't need a website. But in my mind, I had to. So I lost the website and I finally decided to stop fighting mom of 18, because although it isn't all I am, it is an enormous part of who I am. And the threads of mom of 18 are in everything that I do at this point. It's been, I'm 49, Brianna was born over 27 years ago. And so it's been a huge part of what I've done and a big chunk over half of my life. And so I needed to stop fighting mom of 18 and embrace it. So the, the website mom of 18 happened, the book was launched, um, the same year. And, um, that was almost 40, this April, this March or April will be four years. So 2020, so 2016, I launched the website and I just kind of decided now I've been writing a blog that started in 2012 and I had somebody, I had 909 blog posts in, you know, I mean, it's been over eight years. That's amazing. Yeah, that was amazing. And so I had that ported over as a page instead of running two separate things. I had everything on one landing page. So the book was there. The blog was there. My landing page was there, you know, the about my family thing. And then when I wrote the book, I was so, one, I was proud of myself for doing it. It's a a huge accomplishment for those who are published authors because 85% of people that say they're going to write a book don't. And I was given this gift of time and I was able to complete this. And I, it was really, I felt very proud and I self-published and I thought, I want to help the 85%. I'm going to help everybody write the book because everyone's got a story. Mine is just one story. So I wanted to help share it. And you know, I just, it was like a square peg in a round hole, me helping people write a book and what that looked like. And so A friend of my husband said he had a very successful podcast and he said, Jen, you should start a podcast and he handed me my first microphone and within a month, the podcast was born and that was, you know, about, it was two and a half years ago. It was, it was just under a year of the website and the book being published. And so, This was great because in a podcast episode, you spent an hour with me and you were a guest on my podcast.
1: Yes. You get to kind
0: of write a book in an hour, right? Right. Tell your story you get to tell your story so I felt like ah in a very roundabout way I'm helping people write their story whether you want to or not and yeah. I'm getting your story out there to the public in a different way with with a lot less commitment you do have the ability to some degree to be a little more anonymous so for people that feel like well I don't know if my story's worth it yes it is first of all but You know, this is a little bit less intimidating to be a podcast guest with me. And so it was all about everything in my life is all about, you know, sharing the story or helping change someone's story, making their story better. Whether it was the kids that I gave birth to or the foster kids and changing their life a little bit or, you know, not even me changing their story, but getting them in the right place to have their story changed. And so I just have been in love with the story for for years and years, but recognizing that I should capitalize on mom of eighteen instead of fighting it, it was like an up, it was like a salmon upstream for me. I was always fighting against that because I wanted huh. to be seen as more. And uh, when well, I, I gave up on that,
1: I way, I am,
0: but I can be through out. that. Yes. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. am and so it's okay. I just as soon as I embraced it instead of fighting it things were much easier. It was like everything just fit into place. And um, you know, then with the website, the book, then the podcast and my blog being ported over and so that's kind of it 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 I went very backwards and fought against it instead of thinking, "Oh, look at this. This is so great. I should capitalize on it." I was very opposite of that. And it was interesting that through that is how people see me as more than mom of 18. It, it's through mom of 18 that that happened. So
1: that's like the doorway to all the other aspects of you.
0: It, it was. And how cool is that? And it is a huge part of who I am. And I have always loved sharing whether someone asked me a question on how to adopt or what it's like to do foster care or has questions. I mean, all of these journeys, they're big decisions. And it's, it's, Scary or intimidating, and if you can talk to somebody who's been through any and all of it, I've been divorced and been a single mom, I've started my own business, I've blended families. I, you know, I mean, I've had kids through basically every avenue, and I've experienced things, struggles through my kids in every single. I mean, at this point, I can't think of some way that they haven't surprised me with a struggle, but I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure there will be, I'm sure they'll continue that. But, you know, I've been through it. So why not use that ex- 20, almost
1: 30 years of experience to help somebody else make things a little bit easier? Well, and the life skills that you've learned through being a mom to 18, that what you learn about patience and resilience and navigating life and in a way where it's not just you, you have so many others to think about. And just, I'm thinking there's so many rich opportunities there to, to pass on as you are through your blog and vlog. And when you public speak on compounding joy, all you have to offer as a result.
0: I love, I love my life experience. It's been a really incredibly fun, crazy, unexpected adventure. And I think I've gotten through it. That I I believe you asked me a little bit about that before, you know, how do you get through it, how do you navigate it? It is a life that I chose. And I think mm-hmm. once we look around ourselves, you may be divorced or a single mom or struggling or you know, I've I've had a lot of addiction cross through my life and mm-hmm. I'm the normie, but yet I'm surrounded by people who have had addiction or anxiety or depression. And so what do I need to learn from that? Or how can I help that? And I'm, I'm never sure. I think every experience is about, is a teaching moment for us and a moment, you know, we're learning and we're teaching. And if you think about that, wherever you are in your life, it is the life that you've chosen. And when you realize that you think, okay, I may be in the suck right now, but this is what I've chosen. And so I am in control over making that different It it becomes this like really super fun adventure. And that doesn't mean that the suck doesn't happen because it does. You know, there have been moments, even this week, there was a moment in my parenting journey where I sat and just had a good cry because I needed Mm -hmm. to, because I want to be better than I am. And I want to be more for my kids. And I don't want them to hurt and to struggle. And I don't want to be part of the hurt and struggle or have a decision that I've made impact our relationship in a way that's less than ideal. I don't want wedges between myself and my kids. So when those things happen and they're inadvertent, you know, you, it's okay to sit there and have a moment where you really embrace the suck and figure out, okay, one way or another, my choices got me here. So this is the life that I've chosen. If I want it to be different, I have to make other choices to veer off in a different direction, and I've really, really loved my choices, even even the ones that were not fun or particularly greater. Where I've been the one that screwed it up, um, but I think taking ownership of that is a really huge way to make it better and to make it more of an adventure. So you know, I mean, I, it is definitely all in your attitude, and I've really tried to capitalize on the things that I think are the good in the sucks. You know, it's
1: funny. um, It's funny you bring up attitude because a blog post of yours I really liked was the one you titled "Your Attitude Determines Your Altitude" uh, from Zig Ziglar. That quote I really Zig Ziglar. Yes, I really like that. That vision that it is our attitude that determines how high or low we'll experience our emotions at.
0: Someone recently said to me, "It's so great to see someone so successful," and. I said, Oh, thank you. And then I couldn't stop thinking about it because I think, and I'm writing a blog post now for another um, company that that asked me to write, and like, how do we determine success? Because most of the time when people say you're successful, it means financially. And financially, I've never not struggled. Mm -hmm. So, having said that, where does success lie if it's not in finances? And it's really difficult even though I'm coming from a place of gratitude where I know it's not your your aptitude. You know, I don't have a college degree and I'm not making tons of money. And I, I I'm always trying to figure things out financially and I've got a great partner to do that with. But that part has not been easy. And so when someone told me I was successful, my first thought is, well, not really. Because Mm -hmm. my bank account would say otherwise. And I think we, including myself, you need to take a step back. And what does success mean to you? And if you remove finances, I'm wildly successful. And I'm wildly successful because I've failed, I've recognized it, and I've moved forward from it. It isn't because I'm not making mistakes. It's because I've recognized them and tried to capitalize on them. And and I've had a feeling of gratitude. 7-Up was discovered, you know, with the first guy that was trying to create 7-Up. the the soft drink wanted to create this formula that would help when your stomach was upset. And he tried it and he tried it and he tried it and he gave up and he sold it. He had tried six different formulas and the person that purchased his, his information, his, you know, his study did it, made some tweaks and did it another time and it was successful. And that's why it's called seven up. It was the seventh attempt. That's great. Sometimes we're, right? I mean, like sometimes we're just on, just one step away from uh, this massive breakthrough without ever knowing it. And mm. and we give up before we realize we're right there. And so failing forward is a really important thing. Man, I make my quota of mess ups. So I'm failing forward though. I'm trying to do better based on the mistakes that I've made. And I have a lot of gratitude in that. I'm thankful that I got to learn whatever lesson I got to learn out of that struggle. And I hope that I can move that forward by teaching it to someone else or making their struggle slightly less. And it's not just my stories and my scripts and my struggles, it's the people that I connect with, which is why I think the podcast is such a powerful tool. because yeah, it's, it's not my story. It's, it's everyone else's. It's all these other stories. I am one story. But when we can kind of connect each other, and our hardships and our we build our toolbox through all these other experiences, then how much better off are we? And that's, you know, you have to have a little bit of humility
1: and embrace the suck in order for that to, to work well. Jed, I want to thank you for taking your time out with us today and offering these gifts of your experience. I love the failing forward and that often we are so close to a breakthrough when it's like You know, we're we're about to lose that last bit of energy that we need. And I encourage our listener as well to just keep pushing through. Take rest when you need to and get back up tomorrow and begin again. Absolutely. So people can find you at on Facebook at mom of 18 spelled out on Twitter at mom of 18 spelled out. And then on YouTube and Instagram at mom of one eight. Correct. Correct. Just reach out
0: and the website has all my social media. I love connecting and every story is important. So just reach out.
1: Thank you so much, Jen, and have a great start to your new year next week. Absolutely. You too. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Me too. Okay. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. That concludes my show today with Jen Taylor, mom of 18.com. I want to wish you all uh, coming up a really, uh, peaceful and meaningful conclusion to your 2019, I encourage you to set intentions for 2020. I always like writing down what I want to release and burn it in my sink and then write down intentions I have that I want to bring in my new year and keep those somewhere to review them throughout the year or notice, put them on a vision board. So as they happen, you can feel delighted in what you have created by pre-paving what it is that you want do not forget to follow me on social media at Therapy on Instagram and Facebook. And please rate this podcast and give me a review on iTunes. It means so much. All my love to you all. Bye. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir, only on LA Talk Radio.